This is the Hard as Nails podcast brought to you by Outsider.ie, Islands Adventure Magazine. Thank you for joining us for our second episode. It's uh, great to have you along for the ride. My name is Kevin and in this episode we have the privilege of uh, speaking with the three-time winner of Islands National Adventure Racing Series, an accomplished mountain runner who is the first person ever to complete the 100-kilometer Wicklow round. She's also a mother of two young boys and an author of two spectacular books. It is, of course, Moira O'Sullivan. Moira, it's uh, such a treat to have you join us on the Hard as Nails podcast. Thank you for allowing us uh, to take some time away from your rather busy schedule. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Great. Well, Moira, it's, uh, it's been over a decade now since you decided that mountain running was the sport for you. When exactly and where did this passion to tackle mountainous terrain come from? Because most people, they'll just cringe at the thought of just going for a hike, never mind running up mountains. Well, I had actually been living in Kenya for most of my 20s, for over seven years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came back to Ireland just as I hit 30. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anybody. I was down, I moved to Dublin, got a new job. And I had a friend in Kenya. He said, listen, if you ever go back to Ireland, you should look up my brother, Paul Mahan. And uh, I, yeah, I didn't know anybody, so I, I did. And he said, listen, there's a mountain race. It's uh, run by the Irish Mountain uh, Running Association, or IMRA as it's known. Mm -hmm. And just come along. So he picked me up at, uh, on the M50, and I went along to it. It was uh, hellacious, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was great crack as well. So, mm. And there was a really good atmosphere. So I just decided to go back the next Wednesday and the Wednesday after that, and I just got addicted. Mm. And what's it about mountain running you enjoy most? I mean, some people, they're strictly road runners. Some dabble between road and off-terrain. What's it about mountains that, that does it for you? I think there's a, a, a whole pile of different mountain races that you can do and mountain runs that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, there's people who would be very much like the trails and like to go up and down the Whistle Way, for example. Or there would be people like myself who really like just getting completely off terrain yeah. the more heather the more bog the more shite <laughs> the better <laughs> yeah. so um and then there's some people who really like what would be in ireland the the wednesday series which mm -hmm. would be uh races between six and ten kilometers um or i really really like the races which are over four to six hours yeah. uh really out there and uh and challenging you not just physically but also mentally uh with that that's of a run so um, for me I love the challenge of the mountain because you just don't know what's going to get thrown at you mm. and you there's a certain humility that you have to have that you could be in your best form you could be really fit do really well but the mountain decides the mist is coming that down mm. that day and you're you all have to just cope with that challenge mm. so I like that additional uh, part element of, of running in the mountains where there is that unknown. Yeah, definitely. And when you started to to get a bit serious into your, your mountain running and adventure racing and competing in races, do you remember how you went about training for those longer distance? Did you do anything in particular? Initially, I just kept on going out longer and longer and there was a group of people around 2006, 2009 who I was, who I was training with mm -hmm. and they were doing adventure races, which... They were going for the long five-day, multi-day multi races where you slept very little and just kept going. Mm. And so I would just go along with them and we would just be out in the mountains for anything between six and nine hours just mm. on the weekends. Uh, nowadays, what with having two kids, I can't just disappear yeah. for long hours on end. So 
I have very, um, uh, the longest run I would maybe do would be three hours. And then I would do quite hard sessions during the week. And it would, mm-hmm. would involve intervals. I'd do a lot of strength conditioning. And I would do, for example, a lot of rowing, gym rowing. Mm-hmm. And all those things have been, in, has allowed me to keep, to, to actually get the endurance and build my endurance. So, and also because I'm older, I don't need to be going out as long. Mm. Uh, I just need to have more quality as opposed to quantity training. Mm. Now, pretty much running every mountain there is in Ireland. You, you've also run in places, you mentioned Kenya, but you've also been to Cambodia, Hong Kong, Vietnam and uh, Nepal while you were working for international charities some years back. Can you single out one of the best experiences from that time of your life? Oh, you can't beat running in Nepal, honestly. <laughs> you, you know, you every time you look up, there is just incredible, spectacular views. Yeah. And you feel so small and it's just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything, even if you're in valleys, you can be surrounded by these incredible rhododendron forests. Mm-hmm. And just as you go towards the peaks and you find, if you get managed to get up to altitude mm. you just have that incredible sense of accomplishment and you just cannot beat the nepali people mm. they are the most warm-hearted generous people you could ever meet so there's so many elements that you just can't beat running in the path yeah top of your list sounds like it <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Now, well Moira, we're going to now move on to the story of your solo attempt now on the Wicklow Round, a grueling endurance run spanning 100 kilometres, run over 26 of Ireland's most isolated mountain peaks for those of our listeners who do not know. This played a major role in inspiring you to, to write your first book, which is Mud, Sweat and Tears. What's the greatest lesson you took away from that experience to become the first person to complete the Wicklow Round because it didn't happen at the first attempt. Yeah, I tried it in 2008 mm-hmm. and I got around 24 of the peaks uh, out of the 26 and I, just coming off the 24th peak, it was really dark. I was really tired. I started hallucinating and seeing things like zebras <laughs> in the middle of the Wicklow Mountains. <laughs> For your listeners, yeah. zebras don't exist in the <laughs> And I just got back, I managed to get back to the road and I was very, uh, just, I was a shell. Mm. I, and I pleaded with my support team not to make me go back out there to try to do the last two peaks. Mm. I think uh, what I actually learned, and I think because I didn't get around the first time, was the the amount of reserves that can actually be within people. You just don't know what you can do until you try. Mm. And when you dig, dig deep, it's amazing what you can actually do. Because I'm not the best mountain runner in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the, the fastest or the cleverest navigator. Mm-hmm. But I just went out and just tried to do it. And I was amazed that I actually got round. To be honest, there was actually somebody who got round uh, uh, who was second, Ian Keith, and actually he finished, I think it was about mm. 10 hours after I finished. <laughs> so uh, we were all lining up to see who mm. could get round at first. Right. Um, so it just so happened that I had a day off work and I got out, got away on the Friday. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned Ian Keith. He was our, our our guest on our first episode of the Hard as Nails podcast. Uh, that, now, a, there's, a, there's a true champion. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm very much in my admiration. Mm, definitely. Now, not, not being able to compare the Wicklow round the, the first time and then to come back the very next year to get the job done it takes a great amount of I'd say mental resilience stupidity <laughs> all that as, as soon as I finished the first round I, I remember when I, once I, I did my first attempt yeah I remember I went home and for 24 hours I sat on the chair and I cried 
Mm. And it wasn't cried of being failure. It was cried because I was exhausted. I had given everything and I didn't know where, where else I could go or what else I could do. Mm-hmm. And once I had recovered, it took about a month. Wow. And then I was like, you know, it's only if I'd done this differently, if I started a different time, if I'd worn this differently, if I'd eaten this differently. Mm. And I had a list of things I thought, if only these things I'd done differently, then I probably would have been able to get around. Yeah. And I think that that was uh, what made me actually go out again. Yeah, fixing errors from previous uh, races is always great motivation uh, going into the next one. Well, writing a book, Moira, like adventure racing, it's not an easy task. And you would know because you've done both now. Was there a sense of accomplishment or pride when Mud, Sweat and Tears was published? Like the feeling and emotions you experience when winning or completing a really challenging adventure race? Uh, I, well, actually, I wrote the book within three months wow. of... Mm-hmm of um, finishing the Wicklow round. We, it was in 2009 mm. and there was the uh, complete downturn in the Irish economy, the recession, and I lost my job a mm. couple of weeks before actually doing the Wicklow round a second time. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, my partner and I, we actually moved to Vietnam within a couple of weeks of that. Ah. And I, he was, was working uh, in Hanoi and I just sat in flat in Hanoi and just wrote the book mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have a job there at the time. Mm. And once I finished it, yes, it was a great sense of relief that I had got it down because I really wanted to share with people how incredible experience the Wicklow Round was for me and how much I, it made me learn about myself mm-hmm. and then learn about what is possible. And I just wanted to get it down on paper so other people would go, hey, that's something I'd like to do or there's something that I really want to do and I just don't think it's possible, but maybe it is. Mm. So I actually got to finish in 2009 and I never picked up a publisher. And it was in 2011 when somebody said to me, why don't you self-publish? Mm-hmm. And that was whenever Kindle was coming online. And so actually it's a self-published book. And mm. uh, I, I'm really glad it got out there. I think I've had a lot of experiences where people at Mountain Race that come up to me and said, I've read your book it made me go mountain running. Right. And that is, a, the, that is the greatest accomplishment that I could get from that book. Mm, absolutely. Now let's fast forward to your second book, which is Bump, Bike and Baby, Mum's Gone Adventure Racing. A, a very different motivation behind writing this book. Was it easier or more difficult uh, writing this book compared to Mud, Sweat and Tears? And where did you find the time while raising two children? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I it was a di- different motivation writing this book uh, because I'm I'm actually very unmaternal mm-hmm. and I, I was very reluctant about having starting a, um, a family. Mm-hmm. However, I promised my now husband that we would, and that was part of the deal mm-hmm. um, when we got married. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wrote this book because. This is a book that I would have liked to have read before actually getting pregnant mm. to realize that, yes, it is great and the kids are great um, and it is possible to keep, keep being active and keep racing. However, my goodness, there's a lot of challenges mm. and it's, it's sometimes really hard. And there's a, really, there's a reason why sleep deprivation is used mm-hmm. as a torture technique by the military <laughs> because the children... I, I, and I wrote that book when I was just emerging from that sleep deprived haze. Uh, mm-hmm. My second born was 18 months old and he was finally sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. But he was still getting, he was still having two hours sleep in the afternoon. So that was whenever he went off to sleep, my eldest, I let him watch Paw Patrol <laughs> and I would write a thousand words of the book. And a book is about 80,000 words. Uh-huh. You do that for three months and you have a book. Wow. 
So um, I just, I literally just said, this is a book that I need to to, to write so that other people mm. uh, will know um, what to expect and other pe- and people who actually have kids mm-hmm. can maybe get inspired to just get back out there if they feel like they want to get back running or getting or getting fit and healthy again after having kids. Mm. And as you mentioned then, it's also obviously in your book, uh, you're saying that you, you're rather open about not initially wanting children, then trying to come to terms with accepting it for the first time. Would you say that this was perhaps the darkest moment of your life? And did it change your mindset at all? No, it wasn't dark. I just was in denial. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And denial is a very healthy uh, reaction sometimes when something really hard is uh, you're up against something very hard. And so when I had my, was pregnant with my first child, mm-hmm. I just kept going. And I, I, I actually had a, a work trip to Ethiopia when I was seven weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I, now looking back, I realized I was really had a lot of morning sickness. But I was like, no, it's the injera. Of course it's the injera. And of course I'm breathless because, not of progesterone, but because uh, we're at altitude in Addis Ababa. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of uh, got, kept my head down and just, and just tried to pretend that it really wasn't happening. Mm. And I even did a, an adventure race in Donegal um, when I was five months pregnant and I really couldn't hide the bump. <laughs> and actually I, I emailed the race organizer beforehand and said, listen, I can barely get out of the couch this, these days. Is yeah. it okay if I don't do the kayak section? Because I don't think I'll be able to get in and out of the kayak. Mm. And he was like, that's fine. We'll give you time penalty. It's no problem. <laughs> but um, so I just kept going. Uh, but at the, uh, during that adventure, I actually got a very bad stitch. And at the, when I finished it, the baby gave me a really huge, painful kick. And I realized, mm. okay, now I'm meant to slow down. So it definitely wasn't dark. It was just... Um, I had it in my mind to just to get through it. It was like a bit like a long adventure race for nine months. Mm. Just stick your head down <laughs> and get through it. Yeah. Now, for those that might not have uh, come across uh, Bump, Bike and Baby yet, it, it, it pretty much charts your journey from happy, carefree mountain runner to a now stay-at-home mother of two. What part of the book, though, Moira, stands out for you the most? Uh, I think it was, for me, it was this is the part after the birth of my first. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I'm in the, the hospital the next morning, the baby was born in the middle of the night, and I wake up and I see this baby beside me, and I, the first feeling I have is guilt, that I don't feel this, this amazing um, feeling of love towards this, this child that's beside me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm meant to feel gushy, and I'm meant to feel all warm and gooey, and I don't. Instead, I had this feeling of uh, immense protectiveness. And I said, I, this is the child I brought into the world. He, he looks so fragile and so helpless. I, I'm going to be the one who's going to help him. Hmm. And I think that, that what I realized at that time that that as an emotion is absolutely fine. And that is, that is powerful in itself. Hmm. And as the children have now grown, my, my kids are now nearly five and three. Mm-hmm. I've now I feel immensely proud of them. And I see them learning things, even from feeding themselves to walking, to talking. And now my kids are really into biking and swimming. Mm-hmm. And when I see them learning things like that, the pride is immense. So I think the, the, most, the standout part of the book is where I, I, I learn mm-hmm. that protectiveness and pride are actually very, two really great emotions to have as a mother. And you don't have to have that gushy gooey feeling about a baby yeah no i can completely relate to being a father myself to young children roughly the same age as yours boy and girl um Mm. so i can relate in many ways but moira there's some things that 
fathers and men they can't relate to when it comes to women and mothers. So this next question, it comes from my wife, Megan, and she wants to know, <laughs> how did postnatal hormones affect you when you resumed training and completing and competing in multi-sport races in the weeks and months after birth? Um, well, it was it was interesting that before I got pregnant, I had a, quite, a couple of my friends had come up to me and told me that they had had postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized, looking at them, talking to them, that I was kind of an ideal candidate for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, we spoke an awful lot about how could we potentially try and mitigate against that. Mm. Because, um, and I, we had conversations about how important running is, training is, racing is to me. And he said, if that's going to help you get that break from the kids, if that's going to help you maintain some sort of sanity, though you can never avoid postnatal depression, mm-hmm. it's, too, it's, it's a complicated um, condition to go to have, mm-hmm. we can maybe try and, and lessen the, 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 the risk of it happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really important. That, like with it, when I first born, within two weeks, I went out for an hour bike ride. Mm-hmm. And that just gave me the headspace and the freedom to be away and to be me again. Mm-hmm. And just to have serotonin and endorphin running through my body as opposed to all the pregnancy hormones was really, really helpful. Mm. I did have baby blues. Yes, absolutely. Where you just think I'm crying. You just cry and cry and cry. Um, But fortunately, that was as as bad as it got. And I think that having the the ability to train Mm. to get away for an hour or two um, most days really helped me um, grapple with all the the difficulties um, and challenges that come with bringing two young babies up. Well, that answer there is for our mothers that are listening to this episode. (laughs) Now, Moira, you've experienced pregnancy twice. So that means roughly 18 months of your life you had to train and compete in races while there was life growing inside of you. What are some of the best tips that you can offer pregnant women when it comes to training and keeping fit? Uh, Well, I had the good fortune to meet uh, a fellow Irish, uh, one of Ireland's top cyclists. Mm-hmm. Um, just as I finished my first trimester of my first baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Susie Mitchell, and she was the inspiration for me to keep going when I was pregnant. So she, uh, went, when she had her first baby, mm-hmm. within four months of uh, giving birth, she actually went and won a World Masters Track Cycling Championship. Mm-hmm. And she kept very uh, active during her pregnancy, and she was even weightlifting. She was... Uh, even on her bike up to the day of her due date. Mm, So I had, um, and she's actually written a book called Pregnancy to Podium, which I think is an excellent book for women who are actually going, who are trying to keep fit while pregnant. Mm. And I think that that that, that is, is, her two pieces of advice to me were, number one, listen to your body. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought that's a bit wishy-washy, but it's actually true whenever you have been training already for quite a long time, athletes do actually understand what's happening in their body and quite quickly your body will tell you nope that's too much nope you're too tired or absolutely go for it you feel fine mm. you you can do a race or whatever and so that was the, that was a great piece of advice and the second one was just don't take up kickboxing <laughs> do things which will avoid abdominal trauma and yeah so that meant whenever especially with my second cycling indoors if I felt that the roads were maybe a bit icy or, or wet outside mm-hmm. and um, yeah just keeping uh, just being sensible and I think that's, uh, that's and towards the end of both pregnancies I was just walking and swimming and that was fine and there was enough 
and I was able to get back mm. uh, training within a couple of weeks after giving birth. Mm, incredible. So the advice, listen to your body and no kickboxing. All right, got, yeah. got, that, got yeah. that done. Well, <laughs> you've had a few years now, Moira, to practice uh, learning and becoming an expert at how to juggle between training, racing, raising two boys and uh, spending quality time as a family. And many would say that you need to make sacrifices in your own life in order to accomplish all of this. Do you feel the same way? And what is the most difficult part about being a parent when also combining life, family and sport? I suppose um, you everything is more about quality than quantity. So mm. before I had kids, I would have seen a race at the weekend and thought, oh, Grant, yeah, I'll just go and do that. No problem. And now everything has to be much more planned. And mm. I have to actually send meeting requests to, in email form to my husband to block out when I'm going to race mm. so that uh, so that I know that there's somebody looking after the kids. Because mm-hmm. kids require 24-7 care, whether yeah. you like it or not. Yeah. Somebody has to keep an eye on them. Mm. So uh, the biggest change would be just making sure that you're organizing your, your time and making sure that somebody's always looking after the kids. Mm. So um, that's kind of the biggest change. that I, I And also, I also have a uh, coach um, who I, I signed up straight after the birth of my, my firstborn. Mm-hmm. And that was really useful because I was so sick to it and so uh, my head just wasn't working that I couldn't even make a decision about should I go out for a bike ride, should I go for a run, mm. where should I go, how long, what should I do. So he took all the thinking out of my training. Mm. And so he, I basically just look up the training timetable. I tell him I have an hour, I have two hours, I tell him how much I've got, and he tells me what to do. And that's mm. been, I've, it means that I've done everything I do now since having the kids is actually uh, much more organized and, and I, I maximize when I have free time. Mm. When it comes to running now, Moira, be it training during a multi-sport event, are you able to switch off and, and not think about your children and family? Has that become a mental challenge for you, which uh, you never had six years ago? It's actually funny because sometimes so whenever I'm going through really down periods, mm-hmm. uh, it's the thought of the kids or just getting, getting back to them, which is actually helps me to get to the end of the race. Mm. Uh, there's a bit in the book where I'm in the kayak in the Dingle Adventure Race and the wind is picking up and I'm chasing after a girl mm-hmm. who's in the lead and all of a sudden I hear myself singing nursery rhymes and <laughs> the songs that I'd heard was bringing my child to baby swimming classes. Uh-huh. And that in itself was actually helped to calm my nerves. <laughs> and sometimes they're a great, just the thought of them is either a great distraction from from the the, the difficulties of racing, mm. or they actually the thought of somebody asking what my when things get tough what is my mantra. Mm. Mine is go home, just go home and <laughs> go and have a cup of tea and hang out with the kids. Mm. And that for me is as a oh, it gives me that nice warm feeling as opposed to. Uh, pain that I'm going to mm. and that helps me to actually get over the finish line mm. so it's a bit of a, a psychological trick you're playing with yourself there in a way yeah <laughs> but it's not it was it's just I happened upon it and I don't make I don't I don't do it intentionally it just yeah. happens and uh, uh, it works mm. brilliant now one of my favorite quotes uh, Moira is uh, with every great man there is an even greater woman supporting him uh, are the ro- roles reversed when it comes to your husband Pete and, and how how involved is he when it comes to giving you the time that you need to train and compete in races 
I couldn't do it without him. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't, wouldn't be possible. In fact, quite a number of people who know me, who have read the book, mm-hmm. the first thing they've done is when I've come up, uh, when they come up to me and say they've read the book, they say, I really want to meet your husband. <laughs> he sounds like such a saint. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it wouldn't be possible because you, you know, I, uh, to race, I have a team. I have my husband who's able to uh, look after the kids when I want to go out or, also, I, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mum, so mm. if we're paying for childcare, he's they're coming out of the, the wage that he's earning mm-hmm. for us so that I can go um, go for a run when the kids are in a playgroup or whatever. Mm. And also, you know, he's I, I, my coach is, is, is indispensable as well because he's the one who, who tells me what I need to do. Yeah. It, he's also the person who, if I'm sick or if I'm tired, he says, don't train. And sometimes it's been really invaluable for somebody to tell me not to train. Mm. Um, and so, and, and whenever I was, during, during my second pregnancy, my, my coach brought me through that. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I just said, I just don't think this pregnancy will ever end. <laughs> and he was the one who says, no, it will. It'll be fine. And in, in a way, he acted like as a counsellor for mm. me at times. Mm. So in order to race and train, yeah, um, I, I do have a team, a support team behind me who, who really make it possible. Mm. And that answer is for all our husbands and uh, fathers and trainers out there listening to this podcast. Now, there's obviously times when neither your trainer nor your husband can be around and you stuck with both your sons uh, for pretty much the whole day. And I know it can be physically and mentally draining. Is it as draining when you compete in uh, mountain running and multi-sport races? Because I know what my answer would be. Uh, I think the kids are tougher. Because <laughs> <laughs> at least for a mountain racer or, or a mountain run, I can go, I can DNF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with the kids, I can <laughs> Do you draw comparisons at all between the two while you're running or while you're at home with the kids saying, oh, I'd rather be doing this and I'd rather be doing that, perhaps? You know, the mountain running and the racing are the time when I was... It, it's just me and mm-hmm. I'm remembering who I am before I was ever had these identities of wife, mother. Uh, this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I think every parent needs to have their own me time mm-hmm. just for their own sanity yeah. and just to, to, to maintain their identity mm-hmm. uh, so that they're not just defined by those roles. So I've always seen and I always maintain that, that I do this because because of, of of wanting to maintain that identity, mm. and I think that's uh, really important. Mm. And and are there any other things in your life, Moira, that uh, you use to to get away uh, besides obviously mountain running and multi sports uh, uh, racing and adventure running? Is there anything else in your life, some hobbies, perhaps interests you might have that uh, you also like to uh, to to keep doing? Uh, date night. <laughs> yeah. and drink, drinking red wine <laughs> they're two good ways yeah. um, I, re- I really enjoy the, the writing you know I, I've just actually finished another book mm-hmm. um, about my dog because ah. our dog's had a really interesting uh, life we rescued him in Vietnam he was about to get eaten oh. and then we brought him to Cambodia uh, into Nepal mm-hmm. and he got eaten by leeches there oh, wow. and then we brought him to Cambodia and eventually brought him back here so um, I really the, the writing for me is a great um, break and release from just uh, mm. the normality and you can just go in your head you can think about other things mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a hobby that I really enjoy it's great to have the books out there and if, if people can yeah. enjoy it and, and I can share those, those stories mm. so uh, yeah that's um, 
but apart from all but those things, I, I don't have any other time to fit in anything else. <laughs> is there is there a working title for that book you're busy working on, and, and a date perhaps when you hope to, to to have it released? Oh, I'm not sure about dates, but it's called the Asian Adventures of Tom the Dog. Ah, <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, let's quickly jump back to your first two books, uh, which uh, have been published. Uh, do you have a favourite between them, or is it kind of like me asking you to pick which one of your sons you love more? You know, I I, I was a very different person um, for for each one of them because when I wrote Mud Sweat and Tears, I was uh, thirty. Mm-hmm. 33 and now uh, Bump Bike and Baby I'm 42 when I wrote that so they're very I was a I find that I was quite a different person then when I was 33 you know single uh, having a job in Dublin mm-hmm. I was flying to lots of different countries and uh, I was doing a sport that I didn't know anything about and I was really trying to find myself as well who, who I was as, as an individual and uh, when I look at that book, I, I see myself searching a lot. Mm. And uh, I think also one of the good things about that book is, you know, I make a lot of mistakes and, uh, and, and, and it's kind of, I admit to those mistakes that I made. <laughs> mm. And so I kind of look at it and uh, it, it does show a lot of my weaknesses and foibles, mm-hmm. but it also shows that, that you can kind of get, get through them all. So I, I read through it and, and also, I, I, when I read it, I think, God, I was a crazy then. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was only been running for mountain running for two years when I tried the Wicklow round. Mm. And at the time, people were saying it's just not it's a challenge. It's not possible. Mm. And so I was trying to have belief in that I could do it. Mm. And I was very fortunate. I had a friend called Andrew who actually taught me a lot about mountain navigation. And, and we used to do the 24 hour game together. Mm-hmm. And we did the more mountain marathon together. And so he was kind of the one saying, no, it is possible. It is possible. So, you know, I was doing, but now I look at it and go, God, that's just, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, well, I haven't read the book for a number of years, mm. but I do think I would, I would go, God, I, I, I can't believe I was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, plus the, the bump back and baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose it's a, as again, I would read through it and go, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I can't believe. <laughs> I raced when I was pregnant. I can't believe that I went through uh, childbirth twice, mm. and uh, and I'm so glad I'm I'm gone through that. Yeah. God, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose both of those, you know, you, you as with any memoir, you write it down, and by the time you've written it down, you've kind of moved on as well, mm. you know. But I'm just hoping that both those books will provide inspiration to other people yeah. who are kind of going through those those similar situations and need a bit of inspiration to. Um, to say, yeah, to, to go to go for for it, whatever they want to do, mm. but also realize I'm not superhuman and I'm not the best mountain <laughs> runner, I'm not the best mother, mm. and uh, it's still possible to try and uh, to do be as best as you can be, mm. um, and that's all it really can. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, before we wrap up this episode of the Hard as Nails podcast, in your opinion, with so many years of experience in mountain running and, and now multi sport and adventure racing. Do you feel it is a male-dominated sport? And if so, how can more females be attracted to it? I would have said that uh, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where uh, there were a lot of men um, running in the, these, uh, these one-day adventure races. Just to, to clarify, mm-hmm. um, there's kind of two types of, of adventure races. Such the, the original adventure races were the four uh, there was multi-day, yeah. so and you navigated, and it's for teams of four. 
and the teams had to be of mixed gender. So typically it would be three guys and one girl. Mm-hmm. So it kind of lent, and that was the quickest formula for getting around. Mm. And so then you would have a lot of men who were actually uh, participating. The type of adventure races I do, they're not technically test adventure races, but that's what they're called here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're basically around 50, 60 kilometers. There's no navigation involved. The mark course, and it's for individuals. Mm. Uh, instead of mountain biking, you road bike. Mm-hmm. The, tra- the running on the mountains is mainly trail, and uh, use a little kayak, it's, it's, but it wouldn't be as extensive as the, as the, the main uh, team adventure races. Mm. So um, those ones, there are more and more women taking part. Uh, okay. And one of the, the, the keys, things about it is that they're not so I would do the the, the longest race which would be maybe between 50 and 80 kilometers mm-hmm. but there's also other races which would be like the sports race maybe 30 kilometers and then there's called there's often mini races which are maybe 10 20 kilometers mm. and so they're trying to to cater for those people who maybe have done a 5k and want to try something different mm-hmm. uh, maybe want to get into the mountains but they're not too sure how to get into the mountains mm. and so a lot of women are actually um really excited by those things and when mm. they get able to do this the the, 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 the shorter races and they graduate up mm. and um so you're finding that as the years have gone by more and more women are actually getting involved in the longer races and uh, to be honest this mm. year there's two amazing women in particular ellen vitting mm-hmm. and laura driscoll okay. and they're hitting in the top 10 wow. of the actual overall wow. race standing mm. and i think that that is that is just phenomenal and yeah. I think that more and more women uh, are proving that for those type of races and as the races get longer that women can just as well compete yeah. and um, and I think that's, that's, that can only be good. Yeah, definitely. And during the races, do you do you find time to chat with uh, your fellow competitors or, or is it strictly focused on, on uh, getting to the finish line? My heart rate's 170. <laughs> Have you ever tried to chat? <laughs> or, or, or perhaps, yeah, perhaps when you're going on the on, on the bike and in the kayak. In the kayak, often, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, there's um, uh, like for example, in Quest Glendalough, there's an incredible kayak section there on mm-hmm. the upper lake, okay. which is in the middle of a valley. You're not allowed on that lake normally. The race has actually got special permission to go on it, mm-hmm. and you're always put in double um, double kayaks. Mm. And I've always had the nicest conversations, <laughs> albeit short. Norm- it's normally about a ten-minute kayak. Yeah. The nice conversations with normally guys who, who are who are in the kayak with me. Just mm. how how you find the race? Have you raced before? Mm-hmm. Um, isn't this a lovely day? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it's always been nice on the bike. Normally, because it's draft legal, okay. um, you I often would end up just trying to get on the tail of some guy yeah. <laughs> who will drag me along. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's really it's really fun working together with, with, with a group uh, like that. Mm. Um, so, but because, uh, yeah, but if, if, if it's another girl, normally um, if they overtake, they, they really overtake me at speed. Yeah. Um, so it's normally the conversations with the guys. And they're happy enough just to work along with yeah. you. Mm. Um, if we all means we all can get to the finish line quicker. Mm. Now, finally, Moira, what's coming up uh, in terms of targets and goals that you've set out uh, for the rest of 2018, and how far ahead do you look when you plan to compete in events? Um, well, I'm hoping to go to Quest Wales now in May, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm really looking forward to that because that's around the area of Snowd- uh, Snowdonia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, the course starts in Bessie Coast. So it's just a nice, uh, nice area. I've never been on the course. Mm. Something just different. 
Uh, my main target for this year, uh, year is to do the Dennis Rankin round. So okay. that's basically um, the same as the Wicklow round, but this time it's in the Mourne Mountains, which is in Northern Ireland. Okay. And actually, I just live right beside them. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> and um, it's slightly shorter than the Wicklow round. It's 90 kilometers okay. with around 6,500 meters of climb. <laughs> and uh, hopefully just get a, a, a weather break in May or June mm. and give that a go. A, a lot of people have already done it. Um, so it's just a question of how fast can I get around it? Yeah. Um, whether I can get around it and how fast. Yeah. So there's less pressure than there was around the Wicklow round um, when I first did it. Okay. Uh, then hopefully Quest 24 mm-hmm. in August. Um, so that's down in Killarney, uh, a race that has to be done within 24 hours. But again, mm-hmm. the same format of mountain running, road biking and kayaking. Okay. And if, all, if I'm not injured by then, <laughs> I hope to do the Mourne Mountain Marathon in September. I have a great... Actually, the person who, who introduced me to mountain running mm-hmm. back in 2006 is my mountain running partner oh, wow. and for the mountain marathons. Yeah, mm. like I eventually managed to catch up with him because he's getting older. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a M50 now. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been in the mountain running uh, for 12... I've been mountain running 12 years, so now I've kind of learned the tricks of the trade. Yeah. So we, ra- we ran the mount- more mountain marathon last year and we won the mixed elite and we came third overall. So, um, but we still made mistakes. So I think we're going back out together this year mm. to just see if we can have a mistake-free um, round yeah. and get all the navigation spot on. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'm sure we'll hear all about uh, those races and your experiences when you, you blog about it on your website, www.moiraosullivan.com, which is also where our listeners can go to find out more about uh, your books, uh, Mud, Sweat and Tears, as well as Bump, Bike and Baby. Well, Moira, the lifestyle of an accomplished mountain runner and adventure racer is tough to maintain. But when you throw in two kids and a family, it makes it so much more challenging. But you're taking it in your stride and you're stories are incredibly motivating it's been a a real honor having the opportunity to speak with you on the hard as nails podcast thank you for joining us moira thanks so much kevin